sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. It is Monday. It might not be Monday for you. It's Monday for me and Stephen Delopoulos. We have no Nate with us today, so Stephen's just doing everything today. He is your co-host here on the Pirate <laughs> Monk Podcast, and it's going to be a good day. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, thanks all. Thanks a lot. It's a lot of pressure to take uh, your partner's place, but uh, you know, I went to theater school, so I could. I'll try my best to get my improv skills back you, on. Wait, you went to theater school? Uh, I mean, yeah. already. I, I had other questions to ask, but I'm starting with that. Where'd you go? I'm a trained. Th- I'm a trained actor. That's what I. That's what I started off doing uh, when I was in college, and. Uh, I was, you know, going to go the whole nine yards. All my friends around me, you'll see them on like Netflix shows and stuff like that. And um, went to uh, American Academy of Dramatic Arts and uh, studied Shakespeare and and uh, and then did some off Broadway and then ended up ended up becoming a songwriter and it it kind of clicking in that sense, you know. Yeah. Um, we uh, we started Burlap to Cashmere. Uh, for my final project at Marymount Manhattan, everyone was doing their own pieces. Uh, and I was, and I said, well, I wrote my own piece and I asked my theater director if I could perform that. And he said, yeah, sure. And so, uh, I called my cousin Johnny and we got like a percussionist and we had ballet dancers and opera singers and my, oh my roommate gosh. Wrote, do, you, do you have videos of this? No, no, no. no. Oh my gosh. No, no. that's amazing. Unfortunately, I, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, sweet man. I studied Shakespeare as well in college. So wow. I I love this. Now, what what year were you born? I always have to know. Seventy four. Okay, so I'm I'm a bicentennial baby. Seventy six. This yeah. is this is good. You probably listen to the same music, but you grew up on the East Coast. Yeah. Where where were you like raised? What was your main? I was raised in New Jersey. New Jersey. Um, I I mean I I, I was born in in, in Red Bank, New Jersey. And then my, my parents moved to Brooklyn, uh, until fourth grade and we were getting all these parking tickets. So my mom just decided, let's go back to, let's live at grandma's, you know, uh, in New Jersey. So we, we moved to a a farm on Colts Neck, New Jersey when I was in fifth grade. And then I went to high school, a performing arts high school in, uh, in, in New Jersey, uh, Red Bank and, uh, yeah, pretty much New Jersey. So a New Jersey guy. Now I yeah. I have to know. Did you get extra acting uh, props because you look so much like Mark Ruffalo when your hair is long? Come on, yeah. you guys yeah. could be brothers. I I get that all the time. I get that at least once a day if I go out, and it, it, it's funny. I um I was in Pennsylvania once, and uh, someone came up to me. I think he had a few in him, and he said, uh, "Mark," and I said, "Yeah." <laughs> and I shook his hand. He said, welcome, welcome. I said, my pleasure, my pleasure. And I walked away. I thought that was pretty fun. I could do stuff like that now. I'm confident with my new role as Mark Ruffalo. But I, you know, I, I don't <laughs> think I look anything like him, to be honest. But I think it's really funny, you know. Oh, you so do. I mean, your your hair is shorter now than the, the longer curly days. Yeah, yeah. I have to keep it, you know, I have to keep it, keep it cut. And uh, it gets, you know, well. Uh, I do what I can. <laughs> I do what I can. All right. So th- starting earlier, because I am fascinated and curious by 
people raised in other cultures, whether they're other mm. cultures here in America or right. around the world. Right. Uh, clearly, a very Greek name you've got. How Greek mm-hmm. was your household? <laughs> That's a good question. Really Greek. My dad was from is from Greece. Okay. Uh, so he came from from Athens. Uh, he was nineteen or twenty, and uh, my mom's grandparents were from Greece, and my mom's like second generation Greek. So they met at a Greek church in Asbury Park, uh, New Jersey, in uh, you know in like gosh the seventies, early seventies. So what is what is growing up really Greek mean? Am I supposed to be picturing my big fat Greek wedding? Because you know that's where everybody it's a little, goes. It, it is. It's a little bit more edgier than that movie, obviously. But my big fat Greek wedding. I mean, the the love was there. You know, like mm-hmm. that that uh, that wanting their kids to you know to to live with them forever. You know, and and move next door. That kind of thing. Uh, it's very very similar to that. And there was always Greek music in the house. Um, lot of lot of uh you know people yelling on the phone you don't know what they were talking about in greek you know like a lot of like oh okay like really like super loud like talking in greek and you always think that they're yelling but they're not they're just talking loud and uh and yeah man i i had a good i had a good childhood my 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 parents are awesome i'm i'm very very lucky did you have siblings yeah i have a sister i have a sister yeah I, yeah. I I love I love the loud bit. My parents were so not like that. And when what nationality I, are you? I'm just a total mutt. That's I think yeah. that's why I'm so fascinated with anybody. Uh, man, when I would get to, I think I probably officiated 175 weddings over my life. I added it up once because I Wait, had. So you're a pastor. I, I had been. I have not been for three and a half years, but I was a pastor for 22 and a half years. No way. And because I was a pastor in a college town, everyone waited until they graduated and got married. And so it was, there was one year that I added up, it was like 20 to 25% of my weekends were spent doing weddings for kids that graduated and decided to get married. Wow. But I loved it because I would get like, I got to say probably my favorites were Mexican weddings that I did where it was like people from Mexico's family would come up and they had such a different cultural experience that had so much just outward extroverted rejoicing, which was Mm -hmm. not my experience being just a mutt from a rural town in in a brethren church, which was really don't trust emotions, suppress emotions. Mm. And then here I would be in this like, be loud, rejoice. And I, mm. I hate rejoicing. It's an out of control feeling to express mm. joy. Mm. If rejoicing is the outward expression of this inward joy, yeah, yeah, just cancel Philippians. Forget all this commandments to rejoice. I hate <laughs> it. It kills me. Right. But it's so good. And when I see cultures that are loud and just like, let's do it on the outside. Right. I'm fascinated. Still can't pull it off. I've tried. Right, right. I, I made a commitment last week one day to try and give at least three woohoos in the middle of the day by myself. Uh, other people wanted me to do it publicly, couldn't do it, and I totally failed. It was a simple task. I get the dichotomy, and I, I guess that's that's why you want to be on your podcast, but 
I'm nothing like a Mexican wedding. I'm just letting you know now. I, <laughs> I, I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> no, I just like hearing about your your Greek upbringing that had had that similar loudness and outward expression to it. For sure, for sure. And you know, uh, I heard stories that at my parents' wedding, my grandfather took a gun and shot it on the roof into the roof. And uh, it was all. I mean, this is like Brooklyn. 1970s you know this is a whole different life a whole different world it was probably edgier and uh more uh, kind of like the movies i could imagine bay you know we grew up in in uh and bensonhurst no uh yeah bensonhurst king's highway 64th street um it was pretty it was it was a great childhood but i just remember like the struggle and the tickets and the, you know, and like uh, just a whole different world. And when we moved to New Jersey, it was like, you know, green fields and horses and stillness. And I, I really, at a young age, I, I got to experience that, you know, transition. And it was good. It was a good, good for my head. It was good for my creativity. It was, it was good for me, but so which do you resonate more with, the bustle of city life or the peace of rural life? Both. If I go to Brooklyn to visit my cousin Johnny, you know, he is probably uh, – that that area is – is I feel very much at home walking down the block, taking the subway to the city or going to get a bagel and some coffee and like just walking mm-hmm. and like, you know, double parking my car. I'm like a master at, you know, double parking my car. And uh, so- yeah. I, I went back right after Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. The church that I was pastoring in was going to do uh, a, a series, an emphasis on prayer. Mm. And I remember talking to the senior pastor and saying like, okay, we can do this, but have you ever actually experienced a church that prays well? To which he said, uh-huh. no. Then what? Okay, why are we teaching this then? We've never seen this. Hmm. And so I called Brooklyn Tabernacle and said, Oh, I love them. Hey, is there a is there a, a week that nothing is happening where we can just come and be hang out in your office, hang out at all your meetings, and just see what you do and see right. if that book's full of crap? And they were super gracious and said, Yeah, here's a week where nothing unusual is happening. And we got a place like a block down the street from them. Oh wow. And just sat there for a week. And some idiot told me to rent a car when we went. Why would you rent a car while you're staying in New York? In Brooklyn. And all of the street signs were opposite from California, where when I lived in Los Angeles, especially, it would tell you when not to park on the street. And the signs were like, tell you when to park on the street. It was just the opposite. Right. And so I literally would park in exactly the wrong spots at the wrong time every day and get another ticket. Right. So when you are talking about tickets in Brooklyn. I'm like, oh my gosh, I returned that car on the third day. Yeah. After yeah. getting a lot of tickets. That's part of this part of the struggle in New York is is uh is parking tickets and you know, but there's a there's a charm to Brooklyn. There's a charm to the city. You it's know amazing. It's creative, so creative. And um I just feel at home when I'm there's like a lot of people around me and you know it's 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 a nice spot, and really in New New York and Miami are, you know, the spots for immigrants. You know, um, New York has that harbor, Miami has that harbor, and 
Um, you know, so New York is filled with culture and Miami is filled with culture, but New York, I mean, when you grow up there, you know, you know, different cultures, you know, you know, uh, the Chinese, you know, the Italians, you know, you know, the Jews, you know, you know, you just, you, you know, everybody, you just, it was one big, you know, um, pot of people just hanging oh, okay. out. Yeah. So with, with that in mind, I remember once telling a guy that I loved being at Mexican weddings and mm-hmm. then he called me racist. Mm-hmm. I said, why? why am I racist? He's like, cause you said they were Mexicans. I said, but they are super proud to be Mexicans and their yeah, weddings yeah. are awesome. And it, it took a while before I was like, I, I don't know. I feel like you're the racist one in this conversation by thinking they should be ashamed to be proud to be Mexican. Yeah, so, no, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. So the way, I mean, you're talking about a city that is together, but also you see here's a pocket of differences and that's a really cool thing. Right. Right. So at, at what age did you even start to discover that? And secondly, you being a child of an immigrant, how does that change how you even understand immigration? Because I have a, I, I have a, I have a yeah. son from Ethiopia, and we had to go through the whole immigration process, and that wow. changes a lot of how I see it. So, right, how how does that change how you view all the strange conversations with people who have never had to understand actual immigration? Right, that's a. Great question. And I don't know if I could really talk, uh, describe it, but it just was for me. You know, I, my dad, I think got his, um, citizenship, you know, a few years in when he came here and a lot of my family would come from Greece and we'd go back to Greece and we kind of, you know, I still have family out there and it just was, you know, my first language uh, was Greek, you know, I spoke broken English growing up. Um, so I didn't know anything else. And I think that's how other people feel. Like they're just as human as everyone else. We don't know. I didn't know, you know, uh, that I was Greek. I didn't know that my dad was an immigrant. I never crossed my mind. It's not, you know, we went to a Greek church as, as a child. And we went to, we were very into the church, uh, the Greek Orthodox church. And I went to like a parochial Greek school in in New York. So we kind of stayed with our people a little bit. And then when I went to New Jersey, it was like Napoleon Dynamite Land. You know, it was like for me, you know, it was like (laughs) like a whole different crew of people. And I was the oddball out. I know I must have been. I definitely felt that way to a degree. But I found my people slowly. I found my, my friends and stuff. But I never thought about it until like maybe, you know, years later when I w- would create music and people would go, what are those rhythms and what, what's that sound? And I'd be like, oh, that's, you know, it's music I listened to growing up. That's Greek, Greek music. Um, so I never really felt different, uh, even though I was, I guess, but everyone's an immigrant. It's just how long have you been in the United States for, you know, <laughs> that's pretty much it. I mean, how long? How, how far can you trace your, your paths and ancestors? I mean, you're not an immigrant, even though you probably are like, what, 10th, 11th generation here, but mm-hmm. still, we came from somewhere. So, I mean, that's obvious, but, you know, I, I never felt different to answer your question. I never did. It's, it's obvious. Um, 
but it's amazing once you get even a few generations removed from that, how protective we can be of our space mm. and, and even our culture. Uh, and I'm, I am not a very political person because mm. I like to have conversations with people that same. Yeah. Think yeah. and feel totally opposite views. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I know, especially having walked through the process and tried to help people in some struggles with the process. Mm. Um, a lot of the conversations, even in the last few years have been just frustrating. Oh, awful. not even because I have an opinion about what they should think, but right. that it's, well, my, my dad was a, a total troublemaker. I, I right. think he would like to print it, pretend he wasn't. Right. But I remember back in the mid '80s, somebody at our church said something. You know, I grew up in California. Someone said something about people need to speak English and don't speak Spanish. This isn't Mexico, right? To which he made some comment about because he taught history and other things in high school. He gave the exact date at which people stopped speaking Spanish in California and started speaking English. And that seemed to bother people that, you know, we, we all have come from somewhere. We need to at least respect that this is a very fluid place with people that have come from so many places. And I'd like your New York, uh, story example, your childhood of being exposed to so many people. And, Something you said also rung a bell. I remember I was uh, there were there were two Asian clubs at a university I used to play at. I would play like once a year for each of these clubs, and one was the Chinese Christian Fellowship, mm. and they, their leadership would cook you a full on dinner in somebody's dorm or apartment and hang out with you before. Right, and I, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I'm just an asshole. I'm not sure why I said this. It sounds like an asshole thing to say, <laughs> but I'm sitting here with We've these college. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting with these college students, and I said, "So tell me, you've got like this this Chinese Christian fellowship? That that sounds weird to me. Like it feels like a double standard. If I had right. like a a white guy Christian fellowship, that'd be incredibly wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's okay for you guys. So yeah, explain this yeah. to me. And I, I think I was feeling like I was. A clever college pastor kind of guy, but their answer ruined me. This one sweet girl said, hmm. most of us are from the Bay Area, and we grew up in families where our, our parents are from China. We spoke only Chinese in the home. We went to Chinese schools. We weren't around white people. And then we hmm. came here to this university, and we're overwhelmed, and we hmm. just needed a place to feel comfortable because it's all so scary. And yeah. I felt like a total dick for asking the question, but that was the best no, no, answer that, ever. Yeah, no, that was a great that was a great answer and, you know, that's that's true, you know? And that's I, I think if I didn't have the Greek church, if I didn't have the Greek parochial school, if I didn't have like my my people like the village raising me be, mm -hmm. speaking my language, I probably would have been a little off balance. You need that. You know, it's not a threat, you know, to, to the balance of, you know, loving our neighbor. It's, it's, uh, it's part of it. And yeah, that's, 
listen, it's 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 tough finding your shoes as a kid and 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 finding your people as a kid. And most of all, when you're young and youthful, you think that you need to f- have an identity or find your identity. And when you get older, you're like, I have no identity. It, does, <laughs> it doesn't matter, man. I don't, you know, come sit down. Let's have a conversation or whatever. Nothing, you know, you realize that, you know, that it doesn't really, uh, it, it doesn't really make a difference um, if you have a, um, a stamp on your identity or, because it's fleeting, it leaves, it flees. You know, I used to think I was a, a folk musician, like you know, like a Harry Chapin, a folk guy, and a guitar guy, a guy who sang, and a musician. And that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. It's it's something that I do, but you know, I also um, you know train for marathons and you know deal with life, and 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 that's something that I'm passionate about and love doing. But it's not who I am. Um, and I think being Greek American is a part of who I am, but it's not who I am. You know, I, that's that leads to a whole other mystical question as to who are we, <laughs> you know, and what are we doing here, you know, and uh, and then that fleeting moment of uh, I forgot about that question. Let's move on. So who ask, are you? What are you salt. doing here? Uh, past the salt. That's that's <laughs> who I am. Past the salt. I uh, you know I think I think it's. Um, you know, go, getting from point A to point B could be excruciatingly hard, right? It could be like really difficult. But once you've accomplished that small A to B, <laughs> you feel you feel like uh, that's what the meaning of life is. You know, the meaning of life is accomplishing small tasks um, or um, getting outside of your house and going for a walk or putting oil in your car. Um, filling up your car tires, um, you know, um, being responsible and so, accomplishing so small things, and to so, me, is the meaning of life. Maybe so. That, that's very Ecclesiastes. That the reward for today is in today's toils. So rock that. <laughs> Eat something, drink something, and do some good things. And that's and that's good. Yeah, try to be a good neighbor. You know, not overthink it. I mean, I I have the mind where I've overthought things uh, to to my demise. You know, to the point where I'd, you know, I'd be I'd be in my bedroom with my thumb in my mouth, like rocking. You know, like ah! you know, it's just there's just so many things I could think about. But it I I I find that all those thoughts are fleeting, and it's simpler than it's simpler than that. But it, yet, yeah, it's fun to look up. Oh yeah. Say yeah. that magical word again that Christians aren't allowed to say. It's supposed to be fun at some point. It's not all supposed to be miserable. No, it should not. It should not be. It should not be miserable. It should be fun. And and uh, you know, talking about God, finding God is is you know adventurous. And most of the time, you know, uh, most of the time, you. You're, you know, the Greek Orthodox that my my old priest who passed away, Father George, would say that Christianity is like a bear in hibernation in the wintertime, and then he comes out, you know, in the spring or the summer and smells the flowers. So there's that that process of being blind and then and then seeing again, you know. And sometimes the, that blind period could be 20, 25 years. It could be your whole life. But when you do come out, 
and see and feel and smell and taste um, and use those other spiritual senses that we don't talk about, but that are there. Um, then that's, that's the point of it. You know, it's, I, I feel like we disclude the darkness. We disclude that period of, of, of mistrust and, and uh, not having faith and not knowing who you are and, going from point A to point B and just, you know, small accomplishments, you know, and taking a breath and, you know, looking out at the, at the tree and just staring at the wall. All these things are, are, you know, meaningful and meaningless at the same time, you know, I think so. And I don't even know where I'm at with all that, but I do know that, um, uh, it's really important. It's really important to forgive yourself and treat yourself like a little baby, you know, because gosh, I'm going to go on a rant, right? I'll stop myself. Yeah, I'm about no, no, to do, do the rant, do the rant. <laughs> you're, you're speaking gospelicious language. This is, this is, beautiful well, I, okay, I don't know. Oh, fancy. Okay, great. <laughs> if gospelicious is fancy, then, then all made up words are, <laughs> are on the table for you. That's going to be, that's going to be a new song on my new record. Gospelicious. Well, please do. I've got how a sticky. You, pad. How would you spell that? Gospel-ish, is gospel. L i c i o u s. Yeah, it's it's easy enough. Okay. But but yes, go go on your rant about seeing yourself as a child and not trying to be a mature, wise sage we're when not. God does not see us that way. We're not. We're not a. We're not a. I am not. I can only speak for myself. I am not a wise sage. And going back to this two-year thing of everyone fighting about politics and everything else. And, you know, especially Christians, when Christians, you know, um, when Christians talk about politics, I shut the computer off right away. I stop listening to them. Everything about Jesus Christ is out of the picture. Gone, gone. It's something else. They're talking about something else that's inside of them. So it's hard, it's hard for me to express that this mystery, the fact that we're on a planet in the middle of outer space, um, floating, the fact that we, we have oxygen only on this planet and we can breathe and that we're alive for uh, 70, 80 years, maybe 90, you know, and how fast it is. The fact that we're communicating on a computer right now, and I'm talking to you on a microphone and all, all that to me is a very, 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 very mysterious and mystical event. Mm -hmm. And me talking to you right now is a very mystical event. And my acknowledgement of the fact that this is a mystical event is the first step into seeking God. Period. I don't know who I am. I don't. I don't have an identity right now. I don't. And it's in that glimpse of non-existence and, and finality and that glimpse of the search for meaning, that one like, like millisecond of a glimpse of a thought is the beginning to seeking seeking God. Well, and the, and the other hugely important part to that, because everything that becomes familiar has its mystical qualities removed. 
Mm-hmm. The fact that we've been on this planet just hurtling through the universe makes it normal, but it's not normal. It's spectacular. Mm. But then to realize that everything is was created to be thus. So all of that darkness, all of the confusion, all that I cannot know, I was not supposed to know. It makes me think of when Paul talks about his thorn in his flesh and how many sermons I grew up hearing where pastors would try to explain what the thorn in his flesh was. Oh, it's his eyes. He had bad eyes. Oh, no, he was an addict. He uses addict language in Romans. It's like, well, if God had any intention in letting us know, then he would have, I don't know, let us know. The fact that it's totally unclear is yet another nod to, oh, no, hey, buddy, you're not going to be here this long. It's a very short experience right now, Mm. and I have no intention of making it clear to you. Mm. So, go for the ride, sucker. It's beautiful. I love you, kid. I love you. You'll be dead soon. Yeah. (laughs) And, And one of the only things that I believe completely, I have, I have like a short list, two or three things that I feel comfortable holding on absolutely tightly to. Mm. And one is that when I die, I will be satisfied mm. with any of those answers. Not even, not even that I'll get my questions now answered in the way that I will want them to be answered now. Mm. I believe that when I die, it'll just be like, oh, okay, I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. What about this suffering or that suffering? Whatever I discover on the other side, I'll just go, oh, okay, got it. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think we're going to have senses we've never uh, knew existed or felt before. I think our eyes are going to be different. Our scent is going to be different. Everything's going to be like bigger, greater, safer. I feel like I feel like we're going to experience uh what true divinity uh, is, which is I don't know. <laughs> You know, I, I'm not, I'm never going to put, you know, that in a box, God in a box. Like, you know, um, Father uh, Thomas Keaton said, uh, he quoted something really interesting. He's like, you know, we always talk about how God is, God is a stagnant God. God is always there. God never changes. Um, but he suggests that, you know, God is always happening, always changing. God is bigger than that, you know. Um, and I forget that all the time that God is so active that, you know, that once I look to my right, you know, God's all the way to the left. And once I look to the left, God is always to the right. You know, this is, it's, it's this, we forget that God has movement to him, that, that God is moving and does, all does around that, us. Yeah. Does that speak to us so easily removing personhood from God that he is, not a person as in human, but he has emotions. He is dealing individually and emotionally with his creation. I think so. I think you're right. I think I think God deals with his creation by being present in it. But I think God is so fast and and faster than light, obviously, that God knows the moves God's making. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we're left out of it. We're very much a part of it. 
but we're meant to not see in that dimension. Like we're yeah. just not. We're a part of it, but job. he's beyond it. Beyond like it, 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 beyond it, beyond yeah. it, and faster and faster. You know, um, I, I think I think so fast, purposely so that you know we can just smell the flowers and be still and know that I am God. That's 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 that scripture really, really you know centered me when I needed it. Is be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Be just go from point A to point B. Fill up your tires. And, you know, change your oil and pass the salt. So what age, because I'm, I'm thinking of you saying that y- you are prone to be an overthinker, which is certainly a trait of our Western culture these days, where yeah. figuring things out is important, as right. if figuring things out will make a difference. Right. Um, and somewhere along the line, it sounds like you did a lot of work in realizing that you only get your own sliver. I mean, it's kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia thing where Aslan won't tell other people's stories. And whenever the kids ask for it, he just kind of laughs and says, that's not your story for me to tell you. Mm. You're in your story. That's their story. Now let's go do your story. Right. So when, when did that start to click for you as an overthinking person prone to try to figure things out? Well, I'm a songwriter. Uh, that's, that's what I've done for the past 20 years. And, you know, songwriters are crazy, man. You know, <laughs> we're not something. normal. We're not a normal crew. I mean, it, I, I've, I've been doing this for, for a while and in songwriting, there's, there's, you know, you have to really dive in. If it depends, if you're listening, if you're a Nashville songwriter and you're trying to write a country song and you're just doing it for the cash and you work mm-hmm. with four other guys in a room with suits on and you're just rhyming things and making it work and it's great and it's great and that's fine. That's that's not what I do. I, I like, I think of things about a hundred million times until I realize it's not so important or that I realize I should get this down on paper and, and talk about, and write about it which I'm not conscious of doing any of that, but that's the intention. If you get what I'm saying. Um, so I think that, I think that I've, I've always been a thinker partly because my roots, my dad's from Greece, but also because I enjoy getting my thoughts in. I enjoy like telling a story without not in a story where Jane Doe goes to the store and meets Bob and they fall in love and have a couple of kids, which is, again, that's another, it's a, it's a beautiful, a beautiful tale. But in my, the way I like to tell stories is, con, is use my thoughts as a riddle and a rhyme with questions and then make that rhyme and then create a theme and then, um, you know, finish it if I can. And then, let that sit and then think about it. Usually when I write a song, like when I did straight jacket, which was like 2008, I'll listen to that record occasionally now and I'll, it'll make me ponder. It'll trip my brain back into going into that place of, you know, of where, what I was talking about, which really wasn't about anything, but more of a thought process journey, almost like a journal that made sense, but didn't. Mm -hmm. And when I listen to it, I'll go back to that place. So yeah, Thinking a lot, to uh, to tie the knot here, thinking a lot is a part of my job, but I was born that way. <laughs> I was born a nut job. <laughs> uh, 
Fair enough. I'll let that I'll let that linger. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 make this transition. So uh, I was first aware of Burlap to Cashmere when I was a college pastor and you guys came to San Luis Obispo. I just today realized who you were playing with. Cause I was like, who was, I know there was somebody else. And I think it was a quest college in their gym with Cademan's call. This is a, this is a clue thing. Is that possible? Did you tour with Cademan's call? Was that who you were with? Oh yeah. Yeah. Me, me and Cademan, we, we and Cademan's call, Cademan's call and burlap. We, we had a big, uh, um, we used to hate each other. Um, we, <laughs> this is this is getting better. It's a scoop, audience. <laughs> we'd pop we popped their bus tires and spray what? painted their bus like "Go home, hippies." No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, no, no we, stick with that, Nikki Cruz. This is very <laughs> New York. <laughs> no, no, we 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 got along great. I I love Cademan's Call. Yeah, we toured with them for sure. They're a great, great, great band. Okay, so that that was where I remember a bunch of students went. I did not go, but then everybody was super excited when they came back from that and I was like, Oh, and started listening to some of your guys stuff back then. I thought this is very Spanish sounding. And now I can hear, Oh, it, that's actually very Greek sounding. But at the time I was like, man, this feels Spanish. Well, Johnny, Johnny definitely, you know, his guitar parts and playing definitely stemmed from flamenco. He, we both used to listen to a lot of gypsy Kings in his living room. So he was, he was, definitely had that spanish influence in his guitar parts it wasn't all greek i'd write the song on a guitar so like the rhythms would be um bum 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 and he would play like a spanish flamenco thing over it we like i said we we weren't really a greek band we were just a, a mesh you know so you did that and and a lot of those songs were especially lyrically the ones that i was familiar with were very kind of straightforward young people missional kind of thinking mm-hmm. and then uh was not aware of what was happening until you did some solo stuff and another day to me is in my top 20 list of all songs i'm so sorry to hear that i am not sorry at all so <laughs> you can feel your grief on your own i'm just kidding that's uh, cool that's cool and I, I can't even say why. It's it's both the parade and the old lady sipping her bourbon that somehow, especially the old lady, right. I related to. And and as I listened to some other songs, what struck me was that you always retained a gospel hope. But then there was a very real-life blue-collar melancholy to <laughs> this is what's really happening in life, but I don't have to despair. This is the I'm perplexed but not in despair part Right. that you seem to be comfortable engaging more than those who have to go to the happy place and fix it. That joy won't come in the morning. Damn it, it has to come now or I might not be saved. Mm. That your lyrics seem a little less afraid of that. Thank you. I hope. I mean, it was so long ago when I wrote that song. It must have been uh, like 2002 or one. Um, 
I remember writing it though. I remember thinking, I wrote it in my mom's kitchen. <laughs> and I remember thinking, um, I finished a song, you know, and I rhymed it and it worked. And I was listening to a lot of Bruce Springsteen. I was listening to a, a local guy named Pat Guadano a lot. And uh, he was teaching me finger picking patterns. I was into finger picking patterns at the time, like really enjoying learning that process. And then, so that was a song, like one of my first finger picking songs. So I, yeah, but um, thank you. Thank you, Nathan. That's, that's nice of you to say. Aaron. Well, it all, it only says I'm Nathan. I'm still Aaron. Sorry. Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so I'm logged into Nate's. I, I know. Uh, I realized once I said <laughs> it, I'm like, like wait, you're not. Why, you're not why, why does that say that? But in I, all fairness, we just met. So it's okay. I, it, it is totally it's not like fair. you're my cousin. It's true. It is so true. Um, but uh, it, it feels like you've retained that in your storytelling. And so what, I mean, obviously you can only see it through your eyes. And so it's totally natural to you. Right. But it is still unique uh, to, to a lot of songwriting that it, it feels like it can take the reality. It can take the melancholy, the confusion, but it also doesn't have to lose the hope. So what in the world is going on in your head and your life that that's where a lot of things seem to come from? Cause you have a lot of really hopeful songs that don't I, shy away from hard. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't know. I really don't. I don't. I listen back to a lot of my s songs occasionally and I think, wow, that's a, you know, it's like a, almost a praise and worship song. You know, that's almost, you know, it's almost there. And I think, you know, how much, how much, why do I like biblical language, I guess, because I've read the Bible a lot, you know, in my life. And I've also done a lot of Shakespeare. And so there's definitely a lot of that soliloquy-ness in my rhythms, maybe mm. unconsciously. So the words that match those rhythms have to be I, I guess I I guess I go to the Bible a lot because it's it's just it's just uh, it, the the beats are, are happen better with some of the, I, I know a lot more words than I should. And I'm not a well-read guy by any means. I'm not an intellectual. I don't read a book a week. Like I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, like I said, past the salt kind of guy, but I, I, I think that I know a lot of external words, maybe because I'm Greek as well. I always joke. I say, I grew up Greek. I knew Greek first. Then I learned English. I forgot my Greek and I couldn't speak English either. And so that's why I became a songwriter. It was like the language in between, you know. And I think that some of that might be a little true. But I appreciate your kind words. I, you know, I, I really don't know what I'm doing, you know, until I until I finish the song and I'm like, oh wow, that's that worked, you know, or yes, I finished that's the song. It's been ten years, you know. Oh, how nice. Ah, uh, so you go the the Leonard Cohen path of just mulling it over for year after year until it's done. Is that your thing? I'm I'm constantly aware that I'm in process to write. I'm always it's it's sort of you know I I'm all over the place. Uh, forgive me, but in the beginning of this, I talked about that. I, I'm not about having an identity, but the truth is my identity. And so I know this is sad, but I feel like my identity is in my work, is in my is in my. I take my songwriting 
quietly, very seriously, very seriously, and I'm very competitive about it. Um, I, I'm I'm not competitive in the business sense where I want to be like rich and famous, and st- I've never been that kind of guy. Even though you know, making a living doing what I do is important to me, but I've always been competitive in the arts and crafts of it. I always want to say that I put a hundred percent into a song, and that it's it's uh, I'm proud of it. And that's been my identity is in my, is in my work, is in my craftsmanship. I think that's always been there. Um, and now I'm, I'm working on a, a new record, um, um, that, that I'm going to put on, um, band camp. And, um, I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm not being overtly critical, but I just want, I want the experience to happen for me when I listen back to it. And it's so important that that happens. So is this, is this the first album that you are doing everything yourself at home? You're engineering your own stuff. Yeah. Producing your own, like, it's just, this is you in a bubble. Out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm doing it because I I have the equipment and I have the gear. I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, And, you know, there's always more to learn. I have people around me that are, you know, willing to help. I'm getting advice from real engineers and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I have a few people in mind. I want to, I want them to play on it and stuff. So, but it's really about like, really about getting the, the songs across the feeling of the emotion across. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Fiona Apple just released a record uh, about a year ago or a year and a half ago. And she did the whole thing by herself on garage band. Oh, and it I, sounds, I did not know sounds that. sounds really good. It sounds so like, so you could tell she was having fun doing it. And I want to give that same feeling of like, oh, Steve did it himself. It's not perfect, but it's fun. You know, I get it, you know? So I want, I want to bring that uh, feeling. There, yeah. there is something last summer, uh, since I've moved to Tennessee, I've stayed with my parents for a couple months during the summer. So the kids can be with their old friends and I can hang out with them. And yeah. last summer, I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sit here, borrowed someone's guitar, I'm going to write some songs. But then I really wanted to record them, and pretty soon it became, okay, GarageBand on an iPhone for for everything, vocals, my, but which, by the way, acoustic guitars sound so good through the microphone or an iPhone. It's unbelievable. Amazing, amazing. So much better than the <laughs> recordings I've made in the past. But yeah. it, it became this kind of constrained, uh, I can only do this much which forced, I mean, it was just fun. So are you like looking forward to that kind of delightful process or do you get overwhelmed because I don't actually care because I know no one's going to listen to what I do, but you being more of a crafter and a perfectionist, how does this process make you feel? I'm excited for you, by the way. Thanks, Aaron. I have a small following. Okay. Um, I have a dedicated one though. And I, I, I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, these people are going to have an expectation of getting something that they're going to, they're going to, you know, get something out of it, have an experience with it, feel like, okay, I'm getting it from Steven Delopoulos. He's written this record, that record. And I've been a fan of that. This better be good kind of thing. So (laughs) I'm not, I'm not trying to people please. I just want, I just want my product to be, um, well received in that they feel like they didn't get chipped and okay. Cause I don't, I don't know when I'm going to make another record ever again, if I am and records, 
you know, what's great about Bandcamp is I'm going to, you know, print up some vinyl and just, I'm going to really do it out. It's going to be small mom and pop shop kind of thing. And, um, I have a mailing list and then the Facebook and the Instagram, and now I'm on TikTok and I'm doing all that. And just, you know, I'm just going to one by one drop a note saying my record's ready. If you want it, my record's ready and that kind of thing. And I'm excited to do that, but I want to give them something that I feel is worthy of their attention, you know, and mine. Then you also did a project with your cousin that you started Burlap to Cashmere with uh, yeah. recently. Had you had you been working much with him in these in-between times? Or Yeah, sure. Johnny and I play all the time together. Whenever we get a job, we'll do it. Um, not so much during the pandemic, but um, we do. We, you know, we're, we're family, so we whenever we get a job, we'll, we're on it. But we're doing this uh showcase uh called the Simon and Garfunkel uh, Sounds of Silence sorry Sounds of Silence tribute tour we did this video together um we recorded Sounds of Silence and then my cousin Nicole created this video for it and then she put it into the New York International Film Festival and it won best music video so i started getting people reaching out to me would you and Johnny want to bring this out on the road um different booking agents would you be interested in doing this or that. And uh, so that gave me the confidence to reach out to booking agents with this as a tool and say, Hey, we're, we're open to taking this on the road. Anyone want to book us? And we finally, we finally got a, a really great uh, booking agency. And uh, so within so, the next couple of years, so, we'll be, we'll be touring this for sure. Yeah. So what is the it? Do you have like a bunch of Simon and Garfunkel songs you're doing together? No. Or? So the theme is good question. The theme is we'll, you know, it, the sounds of silence tribute tour is, is a, is an ode to the era of that music. Okay. So there'll be Simon and Garfunkel songs. There'll be uh, other people surrounding that era songs, but there'll be also our songs and it'll be sort of a combination of folk. It'll be sort of this, you know, folk alliance of like, of, of era slash now slash then. And it's going to evolve into its own thing. When me and Johnny start playing show after show, we turn it into it always goes into something else. So, but, um, that's, so are you, do, are you doing your guys' songs the old ways or are you kind of tweaking them to be kind of, well, they'll just be, era. they'll just be two of us. So yeah, we, you know, we're going to play with that, uh, idea, but not the old way as far as the nineties with the seventies right. band and stuff, you know, that, okay, that was uh, so- a whole different thing. Yeah. So I thought it was fascinating when, uh, by the way, this entire interview happened because, uh, another day had popped up on some playlist that I had on Spotify and my daughter and I listened to it. And then it just kept playing some other of your music. And I'm like, why the heck isn't he on the podcast? Uh, this guy seems like he could talk about real life and, and God without having to be uh, doing churchianity version, but just life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it came on, I have always thought Paul Simon with you. And maybe part of it is that crash in another day that reminds me of the, the drum hit is in the boxer. Sure. Uh, that always like the second it hits, I'm like, Paul Simon. That's Monroe Jones. Yeah. He, he produced that. And, uh, yeah, he, he put that in there. I think that's what he was going for that too. Oh, good. I'm not insane. No, no. Yeah. He was going and, for that. And good for him for taking control of my brain. <laughs> and making me do something unwillingly that have always you, happens. Have you had Monroe or have you met Monroe Jones? No, but 
I do know if if he produced that that drummer passed away just a couple of years ago and I no saw way. a documentary on him and there was a whole section on them putting that drum in a stairwell and him like putting the mics at the top of the stairwell like how they created that sound wow and it was totally fascinating so now whenever i hear it i think of that entire process and think you know what there are people that put so much more thought into life than i do in so many ways that's so cool i gotta check that out so anyways no monroe you said go on tell me about this oh film. yeah he's doing something cool he's like doing an audiobook on he's like he's recording records and then he's doing like an audiobook on them he's writing a story and he's he's doing that it's a podcast essentially but he it's written out you know he's like actually mm-hmm. creating a tale but Monroe Jones yeah he's 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 cool I really like that guy so that that was the weirdness when I was trying to get in touch with you one of the first things that came up was that video which is such a great video but i thought geez i was just thinking today how influential was paul simon in this whole process and now here you are doing this video doing an amazing version of sounds of silence yeah it was a pandemic project we just you know we did it from our homes and we you know i did it on a on my computer and then gave it to Johnny and then Nicole took the reins and, and created the video and it clicked. And then we just did this kind of like small little social media campaign and, and threw it out there and it was fun. You know, we did it as cousins. It was me, Johnny and Nicole. Uh, we grew up together, Johnny and I and, and his sister, Nicole. So it was, you know, I felt like a kid and Nicole was always the leader. You know, she would always like, Nicole's actually a, a modern dance instructor and uh, she, she puts on performances She's super, my cousin, Nicole is super cool. Um, so, but anyway, she, she got, she kind of, you know, uh, led this whole little sounds of silence video. And, uh, I'm glad because now Johnny and I are going to, you know, bring it, bring it to the, bring it to the people. All right. So there's a number of things that people need to remember from this conversation. Okay. Well, I mean, hopefully more than just this, but the practical things. One, go check out the video because it's awesome and you will enjoy it. Two, that tour hopefully will be out and about in the next, how long? When when might you be? Um, not sure yet. Not sure yet. We're, we're, we're thinking maybe uh, pr- probably by, by next year or sometime. We're going we're gonna to take it out. So what is the best way for people if they are now fascinated by you and thinking, all right, what are these stories he's telling? What's what's going on with a hopeful person that does not shy away from real life and can still be gospelicious? What's the <laughs> best way for them to track with what you're doing when that Bandcamp uh, album comes out? How can they follow you? Yeah, anywhere on social media, like Burlap to Cashmere, Instagram, you know, or uh, Instagram, Stephen Delopoulos. Or TikTok Sounds of Silence Tribute Tour. We have a new TikTok uh, page, which is which is fun. Sounds of Silence Tribute Tour, a tribute, I think it's called. Let's see. And then um, you know, f- Facebook ish, but Facebook is kind of. I don't really get on Facebook too much. I don't really promote too much on there. It's more like Instagram and and TikTok is the fun stuff. And Facebook, you'll find it. It's just um, also I have a, a website, folkmusiclives.com. Uh, that I'm, I just kind of still figuring out how to make it look a little better, but people are signing up to the mailing list on there as well. I'll find you just get on, get on Instagram or Facebook or my website and I'll find you. Awesome. 
Well, there you have it. Dude, thanks for hanging out. Wow, thanks. I think this is my my first podcast I've ever done, so I was a little nervous, Aaron, but you made it really delightful, and <laughs> hopefully I didn't sound like a maniac on here. I always hate doing these things, but you made it a lot of fun. I don't even know how you could interpret you as sounding like a maniac. Uh, you're, I guess I've just been around far more maniacs uh, that are more maniacal. Well, that's good Ooh. to hear. Okay, good. <laughs> so, okay, listeners, a uh, couple things. One, the Italy uh, trip and conferences are coming up. I know that airfare is really expensive now, so I don't know whether or not I'm saying get your stuff together now or wait four months and find out if gas prices go down. But do bear in mind, there's stuff to do. Get your passports in order. Get ready for Italy and send us a message. Man, this is Nate's part. I never remember our email pirate monks at gmail.com feel like that's true but send us your questions your thoughts we'd like to hear from you and uh and talk about what you're thinking here on the show so uh today we are your pals i am aaron and this is steven delopoulos here on the pirate <laughs> monk podcast Sorry. that was awful it was it was so good you, you <laughs> caught on quickly <laughs> the Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>